Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend. And uh, tonight, we got a, an always, as always, special episode. So, Colin is here with me uh, in sunny Colorado, warm Colorado actually. And uh, we just spent the past three days uh, hunting mule deer out on the eastern plains. So we're going to give you a rundown of it and... Kind of talk you through uh, our weekend of, of hunting adventures. Uh, they are, uh, I would say, pretty exceptional uh, with a good good ending. So, uh, pretty stoked about that. So, without further ado, I'll, I'll kick it off here. Uh, Colin, you want to remind everybody uh, what, what you do? Hey, everybody. This is Colin. And uh, I'm here visiting Justin in Colorado. Uh, I'm the community manager. I'm based out of Oregon, but decided to take a little trip and hopefully shoot some mule deer, which, uh, you know, you'll find out what happens at the end. But, yeah, happy to be here. It was a good week. Yeah, so um, for for all those who've been following, you know, I, I moved out to Colorado here in the summer and, and have really been trying to figure out the, the hunting out here. So really uh, tried to get a good idea of of the the first draw or the primary draw here in Colorado and didn't really have my feet under me so um Colin called me at actually the night before the deadline for the secondary draw and was like hey should we put in for some secondary draws in in Colorado and for those that don't know the secondary draws so after you have the primary draws you have the leftover tags um they push those out at a specified date, and then you have a certain amount of time to put in for um, those secondary draws, which they'll draw again, and then you receive notification if you do that tag. So um, 
I told him I, you know, my my elk plans with which if you guys roll back a few episodes uh, to actually the episode title is Elk Make the Plan. You can hear uh, Ben and my experience doing a uh, deep, high, and uh, intense elk hunt here in Colorado for archery. Uh, but I wanted to put some balance to that because I, I spent some time up in Wyoming doing antelope hunt and then also a little elk hunting up there and then now back down in Colorado. So as I looked at the tags, I really wanted to diversify and and try to get as many tags as I could for as many opportunities. And so when Colin and I discussed uh, what we wanted to do, I was like, let's let's look at the deer tags. So I didn't know much about the mountains because I hadn't really been there. So I didn't know what zones were good, all that. So I, I was in the early season out in eastern Colorado doing some hunting, archery hunting for antelope, so it gave me the opportunity to kind of scout around some of these areas that were also uh, deer spots, and Colin pointed out one of the zones out in the plains um, where it was a doe mule deer for rifle, and you get about a week or so in November to fill that uh, tag, so... We carved out some time, uh, looked at calendars, realized we could do it, and um, then put in for the tag, and and we both drew the tag, and so we just kind of waited for November to roll around. I don't know, any special prep, anything you thought about beforehand? No, I don't even think I really e-scouted much. I was kind of relying on Justin for it, but... (laughs) um, uh, In fact, I, I kept having to go back and look at the email receipt I got for the tag just to make sure which unit I got. But uh, no, there wasn't anything special for the prep. I think I expected it to be a little bit colder. Uh, yeah. If, uh, looking into kind of the weather a little bit. But I've come out here to Colorado before to hunt with my cousin. And uh, it's always been, you know, upper 20s, low 30s in the morning. And maybe it'll get up to mid 50s during the day. Um, so that's kind of what I was expecting. I mean, and you guys weren't really hunting up at elevation either, too. 6,000 like, feet, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we were probably at 4, 4 to 5 where yeah. we were. So uh, yeah. just a warm year so far. Yep. So I, I packed a lot of wool socks and heavy socks and ended up not needing them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the only preparation I did for it. Um, I think... Prep-wise for me, I mean, like I mentioned, I was out for antelope hunt. Uh, I, I did do a bit of e-scouting on Onyx. And, and what you run into in the Eastern Plains is the majority of those zones, uh, the land within those zones are primarily private land. So even uh, even Col- Colorado Parks and Wildlife uh, recommend, sorry, yeah, Colorado Wildlife and Parks. There you go. Colorado Wildlife and Parks. Parks and Wildlife. Is it Parks and Wildlife? Yeah, CBW. I thought it was CWP. No, CBW. CBW. So Colorado Parks and Wildlife. (laughs) (laughs) Recommend that you uh, get owner permission from whatever spot you're going to go before you even apply for the tags. Um, You know, there's multiple opportunities in the Eastern Plains for mule deer, uh, this year they put out a lot of these X tags, which give you the ability to hunt uh, multiple seasons. So archery, muzzleloader, uh, your plains rifle season, and then a late plains rifle season for whitetail. Um, 
they're they're really tackling the whitetail in some of those agricultural areas out in the east. So I think the the general populace is not not too happy about it. So uh, interesting. Same thing you see up in Wyoming. People are just like white whitetail everywhere. I mean, we were elk hunting last week up in Wyoming and someplace I never thought I would see whitetail deer. We were up, uh, you know, we'd crossed a creek and we're climbed up a thousand feet and we're up at 6,000 feet on the side of a mountain basically. And in these little gullies and hills, we're bumping, you know, two separate groups of like six whitetail deer. And it was insane. I, I think that's like mule deer country to me, not necessarily whitetail country. So you can see the population's grown. And even in that area up in Wyoming, they have unlimited whitetail doe tags and you can go pick them up for like 34 bucks. So, which is pretty insane. That's the out of state. I couldn't even imagine what the in state rate is. It's probably like 10 or 15 bucks, if that. Um, but to sort of shift back around to Colorado, so there's a lot of opportunity in the Eastern Plains. Uh, it is flat, but I will say it's not as flat as you would think it is. No, it's not like the top of a table. It's not Nebraska flat. No. If you're through Nebraska, you can see for miles from the highway. I mean, there's little dips and gullies. There's yeah. some ridges. There's all this stuff. Uh, you know, you have parts of the Eastern Plains. And when I say Eastern Plains, uh, or Eastern part of Colorado, the Plains, it's a... Uh, it's basically I-25 east to Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, like kind of that area. It's, that's how uh, CPW divides it up. Um, CWP? No, CPW. CPW. <laughs> Keep messing myself up. Uh, that's how they divide it up. So uh, generally, I mean, they have a Plains Elk tag. They have a Plains Bear tag. They have, uh, you know, Whitetail only tags. They've got Mule Deer only tags. We had, it's just defines it as deer antlerless deer so that constitutes both mule deer and white-tailed deer uh doe and uh the classification for antlers is anything under five inches um which i mean it's just like kind of something visible but important to know uh especially to stay on top of regulations but thinking about the environment out here like kind of dry a lot of farmland so you're getting deer are really centered around two primary areas like one where they have access to food and so that could be your agriculture land and two where they have access to water because it, it's plains there's a lot of dry creek beds but there's a lot of cattle gear irrigation ponds there's a lot of uh, solar powered water pumps pumping into troughs and so deer are all attracted to those types of places which is kind of what we targeted uh when we were out and about i was looking for some differences in terrain so you know going into onyx and you're looking at the topography maps and when you see you know the squiggles of an elevation change and a bunch of little tight lines together that's an, a good indication that there's some good slope there and uh, some maybe some bluffs or some gullies uh, with some water at the bottom or you know somewhere in a creek bottom or something like that so really that's that's kind of where my mind was when I kind of chose where we were going to go and like I said there was a limited amount of public land so like you can't just go out and be like all right we're going to do this so I, I told Colin I said our plan is to kind of 
you know, each day we'll go check out two or three spots and we'll identify which ones we want to see and we'll just go hike into it and kind of get a good lay of the land. And so that was our plan, like nothing more complex than that. Um, anything to add with travel out here or, or getting here? No, it was pretty easy to get here. It was a quick flight and all that. But uh, no, I mean, as far as the logistics were, it was pretty. It was pretty easy. Yeah, it was good. Um, I I did think it a good opportunity to bring my daughter. Uh, she's nine, so uh, I wanted to start getting her more into hunting, and so. We went the evening before we planned to go out. We went to the store, and you know she got new uh, hiking boots. She got new backpack and a water reservoir, and we picked out snacks. And um, uh, I'm trying to think what other exciting things happened that day. Um, I think that was pretty much it. Like we we just try, I tried to get her like really into it, and I was thinking about it. I was like, we're gonna be out there. Um, you know, the spot where we're going is two hours away from the house. So it's not a big deal if she was like, I'm done, I'm ready to go home because I, I honestly want to keep it. That's sort of the, the point of when she's done, I don't want to push her too hard because then she won't be interested to come back out. So I feel like two hours was a pretty safe distance. Whereas like if she was completely done, you know, Colin and I could come back here and drop her off and then easily make it back out there for like an evening sit or something like that. But luckily enough, we didn't have to do that. She was pretty, pretty gung ho throughout the whole entire thing. Um, I think all in all the first day we did almost 10 miles worth of walking. Yeah. And a little bit over nine, almost nine and a half. Yeah, and she she was with us the whole time. Um, I, I did bring. I have a, an old like Ruger ten twenty two. I took the magazine out of it and kept it in my pocket in case we saw a small game or something. And and she carried that, and it was really a good a good lesson. Um, you know, on gun control, gun safety. We practiced everything: crossing fences. You know, carrying the gun, treating it like it's loaded we hit all the highlights and and it really gave me a good sense and a good judgment point to see sort of where she was at in her maturity level when it comes to firearms so that i can kind of judge whether it's she needs more time before she's introduced to them or if she's ready to start kind of getting getting more into the shooting and if she's able to understand the respect that you have to give a gun when you carry it but um, outside of that, so the first day we headed out to uh, pretty much the closest piece of public land uh, in that zone to my house. I think that's how I picked it. Yeah. And uh, I found like a little gully in there, uh, what looked like a little gully, and uh, we we just set out for that spot. And... Or no, sorry. The first spot was a ridgeline, not even a gully. It was a ridgeline where I saw a topography change. Uh, basically, the ridge kind of ran east to west, and then you had um, kind of some fingers that extended down drainage uh, down to the south out of that ridge. And then on the north, there were a couple areas where there was a creek bottom, which I actually thought was pretty deep and could hold water. There was a pond. There were a couple irrigation uh, wells for for cattle so 
it was good this is a piece of state land so state land you can only really access from the access points so you have to go to the parking lot park and walk in so the ridge line what was probably we did uh, about three miles round trip that first yeah area i think that first one yeah so it was about a mile and a half to the actual ridge we wanted to get to and we'd gotten as we were pushing towards the ridge uh we hit a fence line and on the fence line as we were crossing i noticed a good spot for us to cross was also a good spot for the deer to cross because there are like deer hair on the the barbed wire a little bit you know just a build up over time so that was neat to kind of catch and see that oh yeah my head's in the right spot like we're looking in the right area like the animals are crossing here and uh then we pushed that ridge line i i don't know if it was a bird or it could have been a rabbit or a prairie dog or something but i saw movement going down this ridge and it kind of made me excited then we pushed up to the ridge and like worked all the little crevices and stuff and like really really didn't find much in that first spot it was definitely a lot flatter than i thought it was and the the definition in the creek bottom wasn't there where i thought it it, it could be so i don't know what are your thoughts on on the first spot yeah the first spot wasn't bad <clears throat> we definitely we saw some deer sign right there like you were saying on the fence like the tufts of fur hanging off we definitely saw some tracks we saw some scat I don't think it was a bad spot. It no. was around a few farms. You know, the sheep were getting herded out across the street from us. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that, that could have had something to do with it, and maybe we just weren't there at the right time. Um, but the the bluff that we, the ridge that we went to, wasn't that unlike the ridge that we went to the last day where we actually were successful. I mean, the last one was a little bit bigger, but it wasn't too much of a difference. It was facing the same way. It was about the same height from the valley yeah. from the floor of the below it so I don't, I don't think it was a bad spot i think too you, you never really know what kind of pressure an area gets yeah. too like it could have we, we saw a sign of where animals bedded down and all this other stuff and it, it could have been antelope it could have been deer it could have been a multitude Ooh. it could have been antelope it could have been deer it could have been a multitude of things but you, you know you don't really know who was there the evening before or the day before like whatever especially when it comes to these small patches of public land like that like somebody could easily come out just like we did and walk it in, in a couple hours and then move on to the next one which is exactly what we did so we then moved from that spot to another so that piece was state land uh, I identified some other property that was part of the Pawnee National Grassland which was cool because I never hunted a grassland. Very similar rules and concepts to the as a national forest, uh, but it being a grassland instead. So we set out for this place. It was probably nine miles away. It took us like 15, 20 minutes to get there, driving down dirt roads. And uh, we get there, and at the intersection, to kind of the middle of the property, truck stops. You can tell, like, the guy at the adjacent stop sign is a hunter and so I, I give him a wave and I'm like, Hey man, how's it going? Uh, you know, he awkwardly rolls down his window and, and starts chatting with me. I was like, having any luck? And he's like, actually I'm having no luck. And I was like, okay, well that's a bummer. I was like, what are you hunting for? He's like jackrabbits, but we, we didn't find any. And like at that moment, his dog like pokes its head up around his shoulder and I was like, Oh, okay. So cool. And I was like, uh, Colin reached around and was like, or leaned over and was like hey do you, do you see any do you see any deer and the guy's like oh they're pretty 
pretty shy around here, which you've learned to take that with a grain of salt, depending on how coveted yeah. the person finds that spot. Um, I think this spot drew my attention a little more because it had even more defined um, kind of gully, creek bottom. Yeah, I would almost call them canyons, like small yeah, canyons. Yeah, small canyons. There was a reservoir there, which uh, we thought may hold water. In turn, we learned it did, so we got to the property line. Uh, weren't sure how far we could drive in because the, the grassland has some, some high on and off highway vehicle roads you just got to check the the maps uh on the forestry service website to see where you can and can't drive uh if you have an on highway vehicle or an off highway vehicle so we weren't sure about that so we just parked the car and just walked it down and um got down to the bottom of the reservoir and uh, there was definitely water in there so that's a good sign so now we're looking at an area that's pretty desolate having a good water source which is good um on our walk down we noticed uh three or f three herds of antelope at different points which is is pretty promising because that means a good good spot for next year for either archery or to put in for uh antelope tags so then uh we kind of like our plan was we really played on the wind uh to kind of walk with the wind at our back, uh, walking. No, we wanted it in our face. We wanted we wanted it in our face, yeah. but we had to kind of loop around. Yeah. To get where we want, like uh, basically like a big loop in order to skirt the south side of the canyon, to work our way to the east side of the canyon, to then work our way back to the west side with the wind facing us to get a, a good visibility, if that makes sense. So it's like a very roundabout way to get down into the canyon. And it kind of like, as we're heading east, there were these fingers that were extending uh, southward, which we would get to the edge and then kind of glass up and down each side. And I think the elevation change from the top to the bottom of those was probably only like 50 feet. Yeah, 50, 75 feet maybe. Yeah. So not not anything crazy, but a lot of good brush. There were some live oaks back there, um, so it was good habitat. And like we were seeing deer sign, um, yeah, lots of tracks, lots of tracks down in in the actual canyon. So uh, that was pretty promising. We basically we pushed all the way back to the back of the property, which was what that was about two miles from where the car was parked. Yeah, I think it, that ended up being. Uh another like three mile yeah there was another three mile loop because i think that put us yeah we were at seven when we left there but then remember we went over to the other side oh yeah that windbreak yep yep and then yeah so we did that we, we worked our way back up the canyon and really like nothing nothing too eventful uh we're just able to work that canyon really well and continue to see sign i would probably go back there again we did find another access point uh, that was closer to the canyon. I think we walked in just to get to where the beginning in the canyon was. We probably walked in a mile and a half. Maybe. A, a mile. You think a mile and a half, or maybe, maybe a, a mile, mile? A mile. Yeah. And then the other part was probably like half a mile, maybe from yeah. where that that little corner parking lot was. So if I ever go back again to hunt antelope, I'll, I'll definitely go in from that other way, uh, depending on the wind, of course. But uh, seemed like a pretty promising spot for both antelope and some mule deer. Like I said, you never know what pressure it gets. So then um, 
we were kind of oh we saw across the road which was also still on um the national grassland land the um there was a big windbreak and it was just like this big kind of yeah it was like a semicircle yeah octagon half octagon which shape. normally you see those when there's like structures or something on the south side of them because it blocks the north wind and the snow and all that other stuff. But there wasn't really any, there were no, no structures. there was nothing there. No structures over there, no infrastructure, nothing. So I told Colin, I was like, there's nothing else really out here. So let's just go take that. And we kind of did like a, I wouldn't call it a deer drive, but I walked down one side and Colin walked down the other and we just like saw what we could spook up yeah maybe so, maybe something would jump out literally nothing no no, no. Zero, zero deer zero sign just uh possible grouse maybe it was a grouse that spooked up but i, I mean get, I, didn't, I didn't get a good enough look at it <laughs> yeah I, I never saw anything so i couldn't tell you um but then from there uh we it was we had to take a lunch break time like zoe was definitely she was at her wits end so uh we cruise into town local town there uh sterling and had pretty good dinner or pretty good lunch i'd say and then uh we we talked over another plan and identified a couple other spaces and and one of those spaces that we identified uh was like north of sterling we got out there and it was like flat like no uh no contour whatsoever so at that point, we didn't even get out of the car. Yeah, we, we just like, took one look and said, no, yeah. that's not going to work. So then we worked our way to an additional piece of property, which we I, I was really confident about because it was uh, a piece of land that was national grassland, and it had what looked like a water source. It had springs, and it had some spots labeled... Uh, the Indian caves, which yeah. I think was pretty cool. Uh, so we never really figured out why they were called Indian caves, and we, we did saw see a couple things that looked like caves, but never we, we didn't go in them obviously. But uh, still some curious landmarks on the map. But uh, we got out there, and you know at the roadway sign so there was a two track going into this piece of property and they have uh, like a vertical sign that tells you what's allowed on the track and what's not and we couldn't really discern if uh, an on highway vehicle like my car was allowed back in there or not so we were also kind of out of steam because we'd racked up almost 10 miles at that point and had lunch and all that so um we were kind of more just visually scouting access and kind of trying to understand the property and the the bluffs that we wanted to go to were probably what three miles from yeah, easily two two to three miles back yeah from from the gate so uh we didn't have it in us and i'll give it zoe was a trooper the entire time she did not have it in her and i wasn't going to push her to try to hike back there and hike back or hike there and hike back so um we kind of tabled that property and then there was three other properties that we wanted to look at that we kind of did drive-bys we found one had a dry creek bottom uh that looked kind of promising but 
we really hung on to the notion that we were going to revisit those bluffs. And I think that was kind of our main strategy because I just like, I saw the contour and the texture and, and based on where I've hunted mule deer before, it just like, it matched up perfect. I was like, that is great mule deer country. So, uh, we tabled it and that, that was our first day on Friday and we, we came back, uh, not, not early. We came back a little early and, uh, basically just got ready for the next day so um did some family stuff around and then uh we decided so one of the reservoirs here uh locally has got some permanent blinds they set up and you can go out and do duck and geese hunting and so i uh opted to then take zoe again and then also this time take my 18 month old son uh, Remy out with us so that he could uh, hang out and kind of see how he would do in the hunting environment but uh that that was pretty successful day you want to you want to talk through that a little bit yeah it was uh they had a good setup out there because it was the dry area behind the dam um, which basically makes up this reservoir and it was a fair walk out there. It's probably a mile walk to get out to the blinds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, you just sign up. And you put your name on a little sheet and put it in the slot where there's one open, and then walk out there. The cool thing was is that you, the cool thing was is that you could see the people that had checked out of the blinds. So it's all set up on a reservation system. So we went out in the afternoon, like expecting the reservations to be done with or you're not done with but people to be out of the blinds and already closed out so when you check out you have to put a ticket in there and you put what you harvested and so we could see the different blinds and see what people had harvested in those blinds yeah so that's kind of where we picked our location off of um, was where people got the most so there was one cluster of about four or five blinds where whoever was there before got about four to five geese a piece. So that's where we picked, walked out there. Uh, turns out the blind we wanted to go to was in a terrible spot. There was construction going on in front of it. Uh, like they were dig- digging up a trench or something, which it was just the equipment park there. It was the it equipment was the there. Yeah. Um, but it also didn't have a great landing zone. If something was coming from, over the dam it didn't look like anything would come down immediately and try to land in front of us so we opted to actually switch our spot and go back to one of the blinds farther back um, so we set up there it's pretty hot out we had the sun beating down on us for a good couple hours but uh we just kind of waited and then almost like clockwork i kept telling justin that the golden hour is coming an hour before sunset Oh, and Zoe. Zoe's like, when are they? When when are the geese gonna yeah. be here? Because we kept also having there were a lot of gulls and, and cormorants. cormorants that yeah that would fly off the lake, and uh, you know your first like hour out there you're like, is that a goose? Is that a duck? Is that a goose? And yeah. It's like, oh no, it's a gull. And after a while, we like figured out the the difference between them. But man, it's hard to explain that to a a nine year old of like, nope, that's not what we're looking for. And eventually, like she she got the concept yeah. too. Um, but I was pretty much like clockwork an hour before sunset uh, the first group of geese fly over it was probably like what four of them four or five of them yep fly over uh, did a couple calls and I'm not an expert goose caller by any means um, so I just gave it a couple blasts and I think they turned 
based on the calls. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were doing that originally, but they turned towards us, but the people in the blind, uh, a few yards away, a couple hundred yards away, uh, they shot up and took one down, and then the other three flew off. Uh, so good on them, but we knew that they were flying around. And for the next hour, it was a steady stream of very large flocks flying overhead, way too high for us to take reasonable shots at. But we had a couple flocks, smaller ones, that were lower. And uh, we took some shots at them, didn't get anything down. Um, still may have been too high. But, uh, yeah, and then a couple ducks flew by too, but the ducks weren't. Yeah, it wasn't going to happen for us. It was mostly geese that we were looking for. Yeah, I think there were, what, four total groups of hunters out there yeah, in the different so. blinds. And it's like, it, it was dispersed really well uh, kind of throughout. So you you weren't like shooting into each other uh, at all, really. Um, but it was cool because you'd, you'd see like, oh, there's a flock flying that way. And you'd like, wait. And you're like, are they going to shoot? Are they going to shoot? Are they going to shoot? And you're like, bah, bah. And then they'd shoot. So it, it was cool to see that. Um, it, it was a good day all around. We, we had like a little spread of uh, of geese decoys we put out. Um, nice little V pattern. Pretty pretty good. I, I think I honestly think that those four that Colin uh, honked at were, were going to come towards us. I think they turned just straight towards us, and then those other guys definitely got the jump on them. So if you guys are listening out there, you're welcome. <laughs> Because yeah. they wouldn't have flown over your blind otherwise. Enjoy your one goose. Yeah, which was more more goose yeah. than we got. We'll enjoy our zero geese. Yeah, so uh, unsuccessful day, but it's cool to know about that program because, I mean, uh, it's pretty easy. It's it's literally 20 minutes from my house to get up there, and, and in, uh, I will say both kids, although they wanted a little more entertainment because I told them they could only take uh, a note a notepad and some crayons out there. And uh, they both did good, entertained each other playing in the dirt in the blind, but uh, did really well. And I, I think I would use that as another avenue to take them out too. I was I was very impressed. Remy, my youngest, was like not. We had earmuffs for both of them, and he was not even phased by the shotgun blast. So yeah, uh, that was pretty was pretty stoked about that. So after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers. If we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan, for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save 
We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. And then our plan was uh, get up early the next day and uh, try to get out there to that property with enough time to hike in and get to that back bluff sort of at sunrise or at legal shooting light, somewhere in between legal shooting light and sunrise so that we could really just catch the deer moving uh, really well. And so... We woke up early the next morning, uh, like really early because we were up really late, um, and woke up early and got on the road, and just so happened that it was also daylight savings time, so... So I had looked at my weather app the night before, and it still said sunrise was at 7.30, and... I said, all right, cool. It's at 7.30. Didn't really think much of it. That that was the same time as the day before. Um, just kind of went with it. So that's what we were planning our timeline off of. Just kind of worked back from that. Two hours to get out means we need to leave at, well, that's 7.30 sunrise. So we want to be there at 7. Two hours out for a drive. It means we need to leave by 5, which means we need to be up by 4. So that's kind of way, the way we did the math. But... Uh, then realized that the app did not update itself for daylight savings time, and uh, we were actually an hour leaving an hour later than we wanted to based on the time of the sunrise. Um, so that was kind of a downer, just being unprepared and not thinking about that, and kind of getting in. I kind of got in my own head a little bit that uh, maybe this is already down the drain before we even get out there. And I told Colin. Everything happens for a reason, Colin. Yep. Yeah, and do. also, too, we got to looking, and so we, we explored the regulations for the on-highway and off-highway vehicles, and we found out the road we were going to go into, uh, you can drive down uh, in an on-highway vehicle. So you can only drive partially down, but we literally shaved off probably two miles, I would say. Oh, yeah, easily. That was easily an hour and a half of walking that we yeah. shaved off. Yeah, yeah. And so we got back there. Uh, anyway, we got to the gate and uh, got through the gate and working our way to that property, uh, cruising down the two-track. And I look up behind me, and I noticed that there's another truck behind me, like kind of closing in. And I was like, okay, maybe it's another hunter. Like, you know, we're going to have to do the normal thing. Like, hey, uh, what are you hunting first? Uh, what are your plans? Where do you want to go? All right, uh, we kind of divide and conquer the property so that we don't we aren't hunting on top of each other. Um, and then, uh, so I pull over and I stop, and the guy kind of stops on the back driver's side quarter, uh, and then gets out, and we start talking with him. Yeah, and the first thing he says is that. Uh he wants to make sure that we don't go over the, one of the fences with a padlock and he points out these trees and uh, we come to realize that he is one of the ranch managers for the ranch surrounding the area of public land 
that we were planning on hunting. Uh, and he said, yeah, we've had hunters up here before and the GPS is wrong. Um, he said, he, he started saying that Onyx is wrong. He actually, they actually did like a land swap and, uh, what's marked as government land or public land on there is not actually public land. It's actually his land being the ranch's land. Um, so, I mean, he, I think he was very, trying to be very protective of his property. He said that he's had hunters there before and they ended up shooting some of his horses um, which is just terrible. And I, we assured him that we're not going to do that. We, we know what we're looking for. We know the difference between a horse and a deer. Um, we're going to be very respectful of the property lines. And we also asked him if there are any deer up there. Originally, he said, no, there, there aren't any deer up there. But then we kind of warmed up to each other. And uh, he ended up saying, yeah, I've seen deer back there before. And he said, in fact, if you guys can go on top of the ridge and just don't go about halfway back. That's kind of the limit where he wants us to go. But go on top of the ridge, and you guys can hunt the whole ridge. So it was good. It was. I think we gave him a good, the fuzzy, warm, fuzzy feeling that we were going to be responsible, and we kept going. Yeah. So we we parked uh, after that. He he pulled back, turned around, went the other way, and uh, we kept driving down until we got to like the water tank, basically the spot where it was marked one to stop for no more traffic and then also he was like yeah the best spot to park is down by that water tank so we did that and we walked in and, and we hit the fence he was talking about and we crossed it and we started our way up this these bluffs and i would say probably what how we walked high? a mile in a mile in yeah and then we hit the bluffs and how high do you think the bluffs were uh, maybe 100 feet yeah maybe maybe 100 feet or so pretty steep uh, like we we found a game trail and worked up the game trail, got up on top of the bluff, um, up on top of the bluff. You could literally see down to where our car was a mile away, and you could see like three miles past that, maybe four miles past that, um, and then you to the south and to the north. It was pretty flat. There was all these like kind of scraggly rock formations that just kind of like popped up uh, out of the grass, which was neat. And then there were shallow divots or shallow troughs uh where the land kind of yeah, like, like dipped a little d- bit depressions in the land yeah. it, it wasn't super super defined but you could definitely tell that there was a slight elevation change um so we, we didn't see anything initially when we got up there we glassed the face of it so it was a south facing slope coming in uh i didn't really expect anything to be bedded down there but you never know because uh, it would just be kind of in direct sun. In the morning, it was cool, uh, still like in the 30s, 30s to 40s, but it was projected to warm all the way up to like the upper 70s. So don't really know that you'd see the animals on those slopes directly in the sun kind of staring into the sun. So anyway, we worked our way up to the top. We got on top and uh, just started glassing around, and like our strategy was the wind uh was coming we had one particular area we wanted to look at uh with some trees and what we thought was a spring in it and then but we wanted to scout kind of the eastern side of the bluff before we went and checked out that spot because then that would point us walking into the wind towards that so that would give us an advantage when it came to the wind the wind did shift uh at some point during our morning and then shifted the other way to where it was actually in favor of us walking in that easterly direction. Yeah, so as we're walking, um, 
we start kind of doing the stopping and glassing every once in a while because it's so far out. My thinking was that I don't want to come up on one of those depressions and then come up too fast and then spook a deer out of it. So <clears throat> I stop and glass this, at this one point and I see these two little ears poking up over top of a rock and I turn and whisper over to Justin and say, just like a, hey Justin, uh, there's a doe over there. And so he's like, okay, where? And I kind of tell him the right direction. He's like, are you sure? And I was like, yep, I saw it move. I know the shape. I saw it move and it ducked behind those rocks. And he's like, all right, let's go get it. So uh, we walked up, we pointed out some rocks that were just in front of that that we wanted to get to. I think it was a big tree by it too. Uh, and we went up there and started glassing again and saw two does that were on top of another mound even further back about 280 yards 285 yards and they were both just feeding there so we decided to drop our packs and try and move in a little bit closer that's a little bit too far of a shot for me to take comfortably uh, Justin said he would be good for that one but we both wanted to come away with the deer so we moved up to this uh, smaller like younger tree that was about uh, maybe 20 yards 15 to 20 yards to our left and uh, just kind of sat there and watched these deer for a little bit more before we decided where to go to next. And then all of a sudden, Colin's like, hey, man, there's this big doe, like, walking towards us. And I was like, what do you mean big doe? And so I kind of, like, pull my glass up, and he's like, wait a minute, that's not a big doe. That's a giant buck, like, just slowly sauntering towards us. And it was probably, like, 100 yards away. And within the course of, like, probably a minute he had closed the distance still coming not straight at us but we had dropped our packs probably 15 20 yards off to our right and he was basically making like a beeline towards those packs which was really interesting so we just watched him and he just kind of had his his head not down but his head kind of like uh you know straight and you could see his antlers he was good four by four maybe five by five with some good brow tines and uh he was just cruising along and uh he actually got so close to us that colin was like hey man you should like grab your rifle and i was like i can't it's like sitting on the ground because the thought being not not to shoot him out of uh you know a hunting aspect but because he was starting to get closer and if we spooked him and he became super threatened by us like who knows you know you never know if he's going to charge or whatever i'm not saying that that's a common thing that happens but it just comes to your mind when you're like within that proximity to kind of a a larger game animal yeah he was a big deer uh probably it, that is the biggest mule deer i think i've seen yeah me too um that's probably the biggest of any deer i've ever seen actually uh, but he I mean, it was he was very close, I mean, ten to twenty yards away, right next to our packs. We have it on a video about how close he got to us. Yeah, and he we'll, had, we'll and he had barbed, out the whole. We'll be putting out the whole hunting video yeah. soon. And he had barbed uh, strand of barbed wire strung across his antlers too. So that was another another added element to it. He kind of got a choose your own weapon vibe going on for him, but he was so <laughs> close that it, we could have easily spooked him, and he would have decided to charge instead of run. Um, but Justin did a little a little tisk tisk at him, and he perked up and didn't just bolt it. Actually, back in the direction of the does that we were watching, but then he cut across right in the middle, 
ended up not spooking them, thankfully. And he kind of went off to the side. Yeah, I was really concerned when he started running back that way. Because I wanted, my ultimate strategy is like, as he was walking towards us, he was moving well until he got almost to our side. And then he started to really slow down and he started to stop. And I don't know if he was starting to get a good wind of us. Well, he turned towards us, too. Yeah. He would have walked right past us, but pretty much as soon as he got to our, maybe he was following our scent for some reason. Yeah. Because he got to our packs and then turned towards us. Yep. And that's when you started doing the tisk tisk because he would otherwise he would have walked right past us and would have been not no issue. Yep. What what I wanted him to do was to keep going past us and then kind of spook him so he ran off behind us versus like running back towards the doe and then potentially like pulling them with him as he went. Uh, which, which you know, I've seen happen several times. So, luckily, I, I was super thankful when that didn't happen, and he kind of, like Colin said, took that slant route. Um, but then you, you look at it, uh, for our next step, we really then focused back on that doe, and we had that 280 yards between us. And I think we were about 250 now, right? We closed a little bit of the distance. No, nope, nope, sure. nope. oh, we were still two. No, we okay. were still 280 because we just shifted to the north, so we were still at the same distance, east to west. Um, but there, there were like small outcrops of rocks, like I mentioned earlier. So we had to work our way, sort of walking across small bits of cactus, dry grass, and then like embedded rock in the dirt like large rocks so our strategy was to just kind of walk on the rocks and be as quiet as we could not really crunch the grass or crunch the cactus and uh then try to keep some sort of structure or object between us which was really hard to do like you couldn't you could belly crawl but it wouldn't be fun because no, there was a ton of cactus cactus spines in you yeah so we just had to kind of try to stay as low as we could and then we worked our way stopping and glassing stopping and glassing because the the that deer was just very like whimsical it wasn't really paying attention to us it was just no. kind of there and by this point they had one of them at least had sat down embedded yeah embedded and then the other one we weren't quite sure of because it went over the rocks so then we we get to a point now where uh we're at what were we one twenty one fifty 140. Yeah, I we think were the at 140. Final spot was at 140. Yeah, yeah, we were at 140, and so I, t- I told Colin, you know, take a look in your glass, like tell me, tell me what you see and what you think and like what you feel. And yeah, I basically only saw the top, the ears, and the top of its head. Um, there was probably more that was exposed behind the grass, but that wasn't a shot that I was willing to take. Just because I couldn't see the whole shape. Also, it was still 140 yards trying to hit a head. You know, that could be... There's a lot of room for error with that. Yeah. Um, so, I kind of got it in my mind that the, the doe that we had in view was sitting in some grass, some tall grass, uh, to the south of this, like, small rock cropping, which we'd seen the other doe go behind so we were like okay well that that doe never emerged so in my mind i was like i gotta work around this rock cropping to try to get a view of this other doe and so i told colin i was like just sit here keep your glass on that deer because if i spook anything else that deer is going to stand up and you'll have a shot 
So that that was kind of the plan. And I worked wide to the left, so to the north, uh, really, really wide because I wanted, one, to stay out of his shooting lane. But two, I was kind of like following the outcrops of rocks. And uh, as I bounced, you know, in probably 20-yard increments rock to rock, I was still trying to keep separation between me and the deer that he was watching because I wanted to find another deer before uh, he also shot. And... I was following the same sort of procedures like I'd go to a rock I'd like kind of stay low then I'd go to my knees then I'd glass over whatever ridge I could see or goalie and then I would just kind of keep doing that and by the third one I spotted uh, the the property fence line and on the property fence line just forward of it between me and the fence uh, I saw doe uh bedded down there were three of them and so i was like all right cool so then i bounced uh a little bit closer and i think i was a hundred yards uh from where that deer was uh where the rock crop i set up on there were like no stable rocks every rock moved so i was trying to get my bipod adjusted and then at this point the the doe sees me one of the does sees me, so she's up on all fours. And I'm like, all right, cool, perfect. So there's another smaller rock cropping just ahead of me by like 10, maybe five yards. And so I kind of slink up to it. I can't crawl because the cactus, which is what I want to do. And I slink up to it, and I get up there, and I'm able to kind of get a stable rest on it. And about the time that I'm about to put the crosshair I'm looking through the crosshair and I've got it on her center mass the what I thought was a doe next to her stands up and it's a yearling and I won't I won't shoot doe that have a yearling um it's not really you know I, I've seen people do it. it's whatever you do it it's my personal choice I, I don't want to do it so then I move over to the next pair which is another doe and yearling and then I move to the next pair and by that point, they've kind of like, I, I'm not moving physically. I'm just moving my glass, my optic on my rifle. Um, so then as I have it on the, the third pair, who is actually just two lone doe or paired doe, whatever you want to call them. They're two grown doe. Uh, they, the whole, that kind of group of six spooks. And so they jump over the fence and they start kind of up the adjacent hillside. Well, as that's going on, I look over to my right to where the deer that we had seen earlier, and so I can't see the original deer that Colin uh, had seen. I can only assume that it spooked with the others, but I see another doe and another yearling bedded down uh, nearby, and I just like, I, I'm, I'm not going to take that shot either, so I just wait. So I'm just kind of there, like, on my knees, just watching these deer run away, see if they stop, kind of watching what they're doing. They get out to 500 yards. Like, at that point, I'm like, all right, uh, time's up, I'm, I'm done. And then I hear, pa pow! And that's when I look back, and Colin, like, gives me two thumbs up. Uh, I was, like, super pumped for him. Yeah, so I didn't really know what justin was seeing when he went over there i could only assume that he he could see a part of the doe that we were tracking or the other doe but i didn't know that there were all those other ones over there uh, but i did see the one that i was looking at spook and i expected it to spook and stand up and be at the alert in the same spot but instead it spooked and ran 10 yards in the op opposite direction 
Uh, and at that point, I didn't really have a clear shooting lane anymore. There were a couple of rocks in front of me. So I scurried up to the next group of rocks about 10 yards in front of me, maybe less, and uh, set up there. It was actually a pretty nice shooting position, too. I was fortunate with the rock formation. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the, my deer kept running a little bit. It was like doing its little trot. And I put it back in my scope. And the whole time I saw its butt facing towards me. I didn't really see any more of the body. Uh, but then it stopped and quartered a little bit so that its uh, left back leg was closest to me. And at that point, I didn't even think about it. I put the crosshairs right on the bottom of its neck and pulled the trigger. Uh, probably the cleanest shot I've ever taken. Um, I've shot that rifle at the range, and this was by far the smoothest, cleanest, no no rough edges around the shot that I've ever taken. What, what did you, um, at that point, did you know what the distance was? Not at that point. Um, I've felt pretty good about it i thought that since we were at 140 it couldn't have gone that far Mm -hmm. um but i felt pretty good about it based on how much of the neck i could see and i had so i was i had the neck and the front shoulder pretty much in line so i knew that if i aimed for the bottom of the neck bottom half of the neck that i would hit somewhere along that line uh, which i was comfortable with because i would definitely put it down okay but no, I didn't know the exact distance. I, yeah, I just kind of was wanted to get it like why you made the why you made the shot at the base of the neck was just to, that way if it did drop, it would drop in it somewhere you knew was like you had a big vital area despite it being like quartering away from you. Right. I mean that's a vital area in the neck. It's it's if it hits in the neck. It might not drop right away, but it's gonna drop. Yeah. Um, but I went for my follow-up shot follow-up sight picture and it was down on the ground legs flailing on the ground um so i knew it was a good hit so now super po- super stoked so we we go and uh you know the the old adage is the the work doesn't really start until the animal's down because now the temperature's rising uh we're expecting 70s and we've got this animal we have to basically quarter can't carry it out can't drag it out um so we just walk through quartering it and and get it done as quickly as we can yeah pretty much um i did end up measuring the shot just based on waypoint to waypoint Mm -hmm. from onyx and it was 240 so it ended up being a 240 yard shot and it went right through just behind the uh the left shoulder um through one of the lungs and then out almost dead center in its chest um yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, I, I think it was great. Uh, I thought it was a clean shot. Great deer, and was your first deer? That was my first deer. Yeah, yeah super excited about that. Um, glad I got to be there for that moment and like sharing that. It's always fun to see. Um, I too shot. Oh, so you need to talk about the deer. What it being a, a button, a button buck. buck? Yeah. Yeah. So it ended up being a button buck, uh, which still counts as antlerless like we were saying before it's less than five inches um but i was happy with it yeah it was it was a good first deer my my first deer was also a button buck uh not at all a similar scenario so yeah uh, it was pretty (laughs) well earned though well earned we packed it out we actually on the way out saw another herd well we saw a three by three buck another three by three oh yeah while we were cleaning that while we were dressing down this deer we saw another buck wander within probably 100 yards mm-hmm. um 
and then we were walking out, and there was another herd just on the other side of the fence of the private land that we were yep. bordering. In which I, I got close, and I was kind of set up about 100 yards from the fence, watching them. Colin was back a couple hundred yards behind me, and uh, they were working their way towards me, and I was hoping they were going to cross the fence onto the public land. But something spooked them to the north, and they got real spooky, and then they just kind of like worked worked to another ridge line, and then worked down on top to another ridge line. They just kind of kept going, and then even as as we were hiking out, you can still see like their little silhouettes on the ridge line, like looking down on this yeah. big open space where we were packing it, out. It was like a like a band of marauders lined up on the, the wild west hills back in like an old western. So they were just like lined up against the sky on mm-hmm. this on this butte just looking over the plains watching us walk so yeah it was kind of cool was, that was cool <laughs> um so then we we get back and uh get everything iced down and get back here and and do the processing like that was kind of that was kind of it um you want to talk a little bit about the cwd yeah so the the area that the unit that we took the deer in is not a mandatory CWD testing area, uh, but I, I'm interested in the process and an advocate for the testing of it. So I took it to the check station today and uh, checked it in. It was a $25 fee if you're not in a mandatory testing area, but I was happy to pay that because I want to make sure the meat's good too. It's like that. We were thinking about it and we were talking about it a lot in the car and that you know, there aren't any known cases of CWD transmission to humans, but uh, you don't, no one wants to be the first, so I'd rather be safe than sorry. But the the check-in process was pretty neat. Just a line right out front. Uh, a lot of people there with some people having their heads in their bags. Some people have them just out on the ground. In fact, there was a group behind me who had like three or four deer and elk heads just lying on the ground. Um, but you fill out all this info on a piece of paper and check it in and then they go and verify the position the latitude and longitude where you where you took it and uh, then you just kind of get all this info about what to expect it should be about three weeks and uh, you'll get your results back and uh yeah it was it's pretty it was pretty painless you just had to wait in line really but they knew what they were doing they it wasn't like you guys showed up and they were not expecting it they were out there ready to go yeah it was pretty good it was nicely done nice and um yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of it. That was our adventure. I mean, I, I did not end up feeling my tag, and, and that tag uh, is over with tomorrow. Uh, but I'm sitting on a couple whitetail tags, and, uh, you know, pretty pretty excited about that. So I'll get back out on the plains. Uh, still got my Wyoming elk tag. Probably go take another poke at it in December. And uh, just s- still rolling strong. Now I got a new goose spot. Got a little bit of honey hole for some mule deer for next year, and pretty excited. Colin got his first deer, so yeah. I don't know. Too. Last last thoughts for you? Uh, I think we had a couple hot tips we discussed. One is always expect that there are deer on the other side of the area you can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was the one. It's, I remember it's the not. Most. It's not as flat as it looks. Oh, it's never as flat as it looks. Uh, deer can hide behind a bush. Yep. Or, or tall grass. Or, or tall grass, yeah. And I don't know. I think the rut may have started. I think it may be late. Yeah, I think the rut was going on because there were a couple herds with uh, bucks definitely in charge. And then we saw those two 
kind of wanderers, satellites yeah. walking around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, there was, an, there was another one, too. But now I just lost it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll think about it. So yeah. uh, we're going to post a video on Adventures for Food the uh, on the YouTube. So you'll see that as an Adventures for Food. Adventures for Food, Colorado Mule Deer. Uh, so that will be the whole experience there. Um, then we're going to wait till the meat comes back so we can cook some of that and give you a little cool recipe with that as well. And then um, – Colin's going to do an adventure for food so you can hear a little more in depth about the story of, of sort of him taking the deer. So check that out on the same channel. And then, uh, yeah, that's the excitingness we kind of have to share from this past weekend mule deer hunting in, in Colorado, which is super fun. So did you remember what it was? No. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I will say to everyone out there, thanks for listening. Uh, make sure that you're following us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, uh, Pinterest, where, wherever. We're probably there. Uh, make, make sure you're following us. Stay up to date with what we're doing. Uh, the crew is constantly doing things. We have lots of plans coming out spring 2022. Uh, lots of educational opportunities. Lots of stuff to be more interactive. Really stoked. COVID seems on the decline. So we're kind of out and about and we're playing some big events uh, to, to do more engaging and more teaching and, and more uh, hunting and fishing with each other so we can create some great stories. Uh, but that's all coming in 2022. Uh, and then also, you know, uh, we really appreciate reviews. So please go uh, punch that five-star button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Leave a review. Uh, tell us what we're doing wrong or, you know, tell us what we're doing right. Thanks, everybody, and have a good night.